what I would point out is if these companies like Rhino are out there offering this, it's because there's a lot of money to be made on it. That's why they do this. You know, it's just the same reason that we are in business for property management is because there's money to be made. So if you have the ability to do this in-house, if the risk doesn't bother you, if you've got the time to implement it, why are you going to let somebody else make the money that you can make? Find a way to make that money for yourself. Hopefully no one jumps since Andrew's not here and I'm the host today with my, my good friend Todd. I think probably people saw some photos of Andrew. He was gallivanting along with some, and some lunches in Salt Lake City yesterday. There's a, uh, a rumor he was out on the slopes shredding, making some noise and someone from the Olympic Committee saw him out there and they knew all the good things he's done in the community and said, hey, we, we need some gold medals out in Beijing. Can you head out there? And guy got on a plane, went to Beijing and all of a sudden, last night, America pops their first gold. So, oh, <laughs> the guy, he, he can do it all. So, uh, but I'm just I'm just here filling in for the day. Uh, always great to have the esteemed uh, Todd Orscheid on with me. We've conducted a few panels in the past. So, uh, appreciate you being here with us. And just seeing all the, the great, lovely faces, friends, uh, customers, prospects, people we like to hang out with. Uh, thanks for joining us today. This is a, uh, a lobby bar environment that we want to create. So if you do have a beverage, feel free to pour one. Uh, since we are giving out a whistle pig, I, I purchased my first bottle of whistle pig, I don't know, a couple months back, still got a half a bottle left. So I, I poured a little beverage. Feel free to join in. I think I saw Todd pour something uh, a second ago. Todd, what are, you, what are you sipping on there, Todd? Today, I've got a uh, Knob Creek single barrel rye. This was a gift from a property manager, Nick Beck, up in uh, Maryland. So uh, it's very good if you haven't tried it, by the way. We'll have to definitely give that a try. So I, I was good. I, I got my, my PM Health in. I got a little workout at lunch. I got the mind clear. Allows me to have a treat and have a little whiskey at the end of the day here. So thanks. Uh, thanks for that, everybody. Well, today we're going we're to talk, talk a little bit about uh, security deposits. Uh, I know that We've had a lot of great questions come in. I think we fielded 20 some, 30 questions already. I would encourage folks as we're going through this to ask questions as we, we go about different things. Um, we kind of want to just define the status quo. I guess maybe I'll touch on it. We are going to give away a bottle of whiskey. There will be a drawing. Uh, winner must be present. So I'd say get on, tell your friends who's ever on at the end of the day here. We're going to give away that nice, uh, nice perk. Um, and so that's all I've got in the house. house uh, I guess the house tips for the day, but we wanted to find security deposits. Uh, there's a lot of standard ways of doing it. There's some alternatives out there. Todd's going to kind of walk us through a little bit about, you know, what he's doing and we'll go through a triple win live, uh, you know, on how Todd's impacting uh, his business there at Revolution. And you know, today, the status quo, right? Like, let's think about it from the resident standpoint, the investor standpoint, you know, your property management team. Uh, you, you yourself, you know, so what are some of the, I guess, what are some of the uh, problems that are faced with security deposit accounting? Uh, I should say security deposits in general, as, as you as you think about it. I know leading up to this, uh, you know, I, I went to my former property management days, I started thinking about all the crazy things that happen with security deposits, and whether you're managing in Illinois and you got 30 days to get it back to them. And if you're managing in Cook County, you got to put it in a separate bank account with 1%. You know, I was managing properties in California. You had 21 days to get those out. You know, the, the rules are different everywhere. 
they become a hassle a bit. Um, the residents got to come up with a lot of money up front uh, at move in, which they may or may not have. You know, there's $30 billion locked up in security deposits across the country uh, as of today that no one's really making any money on, right? So those are some of the things that we've identified as problems for the resident. You know, for the investor, you know, it could mean more days uh, of, of days on market when you have, a, um, you know, a property that's for rent, um, you know, with that tenant maybe not being able to come up with the first month's rent. Um, for the PM team, it sometimes could be a source. We've, we've pulled uh, our, our friends out there. Could be a source of a negative review, taking a full month's deposit, two months' deposits sometimes. At my old company, we were taking two-month deposits. Uh, regulation around it. I kind of got into that a little bit. You know, if you go and Google, let's say, you know, Chicago property manager sued due to a security deposit. I, I think if you type in any city, you're going to see horror stories of people getting sued for you know, not having all the, the money is tied up in one bank account and mixing it in with their regular fund, right? People not paying um, uh, the percent or the 10th of a percent that might be on the interest. All those things that get folks in trouble, right? Those are, those are the problems for your team. And then, you know, the different time, the different timing frames that you have to get that back. You got to get receipts from your vendors who are doing the work. How do you apply that to the security deposit accounting when you're sending it back? Those are all things that, you know, I've witnessed. We've, we've heard from our clients. Todd, anything on, on your end that, you know, you'd add to this on, on you know, how, how the status quo is defined today and, and some of the issues that it, it, it faces with our, our, our residents, our investors, and our, and our property management teams? I don't think there's anything I would add. I would just, you know, really point to that part where it talks about the investor and the fact that, you know, the, the, they're really not getting anything out of having this deposit. It's dragging out how long it takes to get a tenant when you can't find people who have the available cash, especially when people are starting to offer security deposit alternatives, you know, you're just making it more hard to place somebody, making it take longer and costing them money. And all of our focus should always be on making sure the investor gets the best return on their investment. So, you know, the way to do that is not by having these big security deposit amounts. And we're seeing even bigger security deposit amounts that property managers and landlords are requiring now because of the risk that was brought on after the eviction moratorium, everybody got more skittish. People started increasing what they expected for security deposits, makes it even harder for somebody to be able to afford it. So it's, it's just not good for anybody, really. Thanks. I know we've got a, a good crowd of folks that are managing all across the country. Would love to hear from some of you. And, you know, Laura's behind the scenes kind of typing down some of this for us. And we'll share this with everyone later on. But what are, what are some other things you're, you're seeing today as like the status quo and the issues that security deposits bring to the table. Karen, I know you're on. You're always good for jumping in. How about in California? What are you experiencing out there, Karen Jordan? Yeah, I was going to say the um, 21 day for us here and the security deposit disposition is just, it's tough, um, right? Like you said, getting vendors to get the receipts, get the estimates completed in a timely manner. And then, you know, what is considered normal wear and tear? They dispute it. Well, of course, the famous, right? It was better when I left it, then when I gave it to you, that whole back and forth. Um, so I think that for us is always a challenge and just, you know, kind of avoiding those conflicts with the tenant when they come, come when they move out, coming back at us and questioning us why we're deducting certain things. Yeah, Bob, if I could jump in there, Karen made me think about something, talking about the 21 days. You know how it is here in Georgia. I see Regina's also here. You know, when you held a security deposit and you have to do a move out inspection in Georgia, 
basically the only anti-landlord bit of legislation we have in the state, but it says we have to do that inspection within three days, and then we have to give it a, a, the tenant an accounting of it within five days of when they moved out. So, you know, we have a full 30 days to send them their money, but we have to get that inspection and everything done in that very short time frame. It makes it very difficult. You know, we can't use on-site pros because of that. You know, we have to go do it ourselves. We have to make sure we're staffed to do it. And if you don't hold a security deposit, you don't have to do that. And I guess, Todd, in the, in the rare occasion, if it ever happened, right, if, if you can't get that done in the three to five day time frame, as you mentioned, you're basically having to supply back the full deposit, right? Is that is that the alternative if you can't get out there? Yeah. And I mean, you could risk it and not do that. And then the tenant could challenge it. But then if they do, then yeah, you're sending them that whole deposit, no matter what they've done to the property, that money's all going back to them. Brian Birdie, I know you've had at least, you know, you've come across some sort of a security deposit, uh, you know, frustration or an issue at some point by some tenant or an investor. You know, got anything uh, you can share to the crowd that you've experienced down in Texas? Well, we went away from security deposits about two and a half years ago. Um, I just wanted to share some of the benefits that we've kind of seen from that. You know, there's the obvious one is a lot easier for a tenant to move in. They're rather surprised. It draws a lot of attention to your properties when they start recognizing that you're not going to require the equivalent cash down by others. Um, we actually doubled the amount of financial obligation that we're collecting by not collecting the security deposit, which has really helped our owners in the long run. But the statistics that we've followed is we've looked very closely at, because there's this philosophy that was out there, right? I give you a cash deposit. It's time for me to leave. The majority of people leaving believe you're not going to give me my money back. And since I'm not getting my money back, I'm not real concerned about, I'm not going to destroy your place, but I'm really not going to clean up too well because if I do all that work, you're still going to keep my money anyway. Well, now you were nice enough to let me move in and not have to give you all this money. Everything has gone well, and now it's time for me to leave. And I can recognize that if I don't leave the property in good shape, I'm going to have to pay for it. And it just starts to change their mindset about leaving a property. And we've watched the numbers and we have seen a reduction in overall security deposit claims or move out claims because there's not really deposits, but claims based on them moving out. The, the number of what it's costing to turn a property over has gone dramatically down while we had increased how much we've protected. So we've almost eliminated a turnover cost to our owner. And that is the most vulnerable time for us as property managers because that's when the landlord decides, do I want to keep this asset any longer? And so if you can keep them and roll a new tenant and keep their costs down by making sure that you turn it over, and they certainly have to pay for things that's their responsibility. But a lot of times we didn't have enough money and they had to pay for things that weren't their responsibility. And that would make them sour on being a landlord. And next thing you know, you start losing inventory because of that. I've seen in the last two years, a turn in the other direction and a lot less churn. And it all comes back to this simple product that really works if it's run right. Well, I think Brian kind of, you know, brings us to the next part of the conversation is what are some of those alternatives? You know, I, I'm not sure what Brian's using and later on we'll come back to Brian and see if he could share that with us. Um, you know, some things that come to mind in terms of, you know, opportunities is, is lease lock, you know, the, the pure insurance play, uh, surety bonds, right? Love to talk through that a little bit through like the triple win uh, lens, you know, in terms of the, the tenant, the investor, and, uh, you know, the property manager. 
you know, Todd, have, have you had experience with those companies in the past? I, mean, I know you're doing something on your own today, but uh, prior to that, had you had you sourced or, or looked at some of those options out there? I had looked at them. I didn't actually end up using any of them. I had spoken to Brad Larson, who was using, I believe, uh, Obligo, if I remember right. Um, yep. I know that Rhino is another option. Um, I know they're out there uh, and I had, I had talked to various people who had used them and they all had downsides that, you know, for me, it just didn't make sense for me to use them because, you know, in, depending on which product you're looking at, some of them are only going to approve some tenants. So they're not available to everybody. I didn't like that myself. I wanted everybody to be able to have an option. It might be a different fee that they have to pay, but I wanted everybody to be able to have some way of not having to pay a deposit. Um, so that was big to me. But it was also an issue of claims. So I didn't want to have to get to the end of the tenant's uh, move out process. And then me or my staff have to go through a process to request money from somebody else in order to make the landlord whole or to get that stuff taken care of. And, you know, anytime you're dealing with an insurance product or, you know, a bond, you know, any of these sorts of things, you're always going to have to deal with that sort of thing where even if they're very good, and, you know, some insurance companies are fantastic. You know, they're going to remit the money really quickly, but really quickly still means you're having to go through a process and do it um, and wait for the money to come in. So for me, that just wasn't ideal. Um, that said, you know, for some property managers, that might be the best way to go just because they're more risk averse than I am. I am admittedly, you know, not that risk averse. I'm willing to take these risks to, to get that extra money. Um, some people aren't. So that's something everybody has to take into account. Um, but it's also, you know, a question of implementation. It's a lot harder to implement your own program than it is to just onboard somebody who has a ready to go program. So some of it's bandwidth, you know, how much are you able to put on your plate and, and you know, how much work can you put in to, to implement something yourself? Some of it is just how much risk am I willing to take? You know, there's a lot that goes into it, but those options are there if people feel better about them. But for me, I started off straight from the security deposit alternative in-house. You know, some of the things that that we've heard or seen in some of these uh, alternatives, um, you know, whether it be Rhino or, or Jetty or, or Surety Bond or, you know, the half a dozen others is, you know, claims can take up to 30 days, you know, some is mandatory, it's not an option. Um, you know, while they have good websites and it's easy to roll, you know, some have better pricing than others. Um, you know, I think Rhino recently, and I think they've had some some staffing changes there. So there's been some issues maybe with Rhino. I'd, I'd be curious to folks: is, is anyone here on the on the call today using any of those other alternatives today? Can maybe share some experiences with the rest of the group, whether it's Obligo or whether it's Rhino or Surety Bond or Jetty. Um, you know, anyone here using alternatives like that today, and can can share with us the the pros, the cons. Jonathan said that he used to use Rhino. Um, Jonathan, I don't know if you have any experience you want to share there. So when I was at AHI, uh, we used Rhino to great success. I, I, I thought the team that we worked with was incredibly responsive. They did a very good job of onboarding uh, tenants and working through issues that we may have had, getting things going. It was a it was a pretty neat solution because it was just kind of set it and forget it. Once, once we got everything onboarded, which did not take long for us to onboard, like a week maybe, um, I, I had a really good experience with them. Uh, now that I'm with Todd at Revolution, I like our process significantly better. But if I had no Todd or Shai to run things for me, the best option that I've used was certainly Rhino. 
Thanks, Jonathan. Anybody else using any of the others or anyone using Rhino currently? I'm using Rhino. That's what I've been using for two and a half. So I looked at Obligo. I looked at LeaseLock. I looked at Rhino when we did this uh, back in, I don't know, late 2019. And um, I just liked the process a little bit better. We, we actually evaluated doing it ourselves. Um, and it wasn't for the risk purposes. It was just as we looked at everything, we were kind of like, let's baby step it. Let's see how this thing works, understand it and move forward. Now, I'm, today, I'm very glad that I went the way that I did because Texas has come in and basically eliminated doing it yourself. If you collect any money and holds it yourself, you have to consider it a security deposit, even if you name it something different. And you got to treat it like a security deposit. So they pretty much eliminated uh, doing it yourself in our state. So I was glad that the choice I made ended up paying off in the long run. But uh, it's worked out really well. You know, um, timing has not been a problem with them. Communication has not been a problem. If you're active and you work with the people and you know what's going on, it works out pretty good. And we're pretty sizable. So we do a lot of these. And um, we really, you know, you've got to learn how to work with another company. That's the way that it always is. You know, you got to figure out the best way for both to work. But we've worked it out. We've had very few problems. The few little hiccups we had, we worked them out and they're fine. Um, but timing of getting paid has not been the problem. Now, it's not instantaneous, but it's within days. And there is a process and you do have to submit. Um, but they're pretty good at one, communicating and two, paying on time and three, paying. The highest, the highest that we've claimed, I think was about $7,400. Um, that was a full claim of the full coverage. They paid it all in 72 hours. So that's the worst, right? Now, we haven't had that many. I think collectively in two and a half years, I've maxed out the policy probably four times. So most of the times it's a small claim or it's, a, you know, there's there are even times now that there's no claim. I mean, people have actually giving me a house back the way that we would want them to. So and I don't know if you can give this program credit for all that, but it, it's nice when that happens. Um, recently, we had an individual who wanted to dispute Rhino. They wanted to come to me to dispute. And I said, I have nothing to do with this. I don't have your money. Uh, and the dispute resolution actually got Rhino to dispute them. And then they called me and said, could you please be on the call for informational purposes? And I said, sure, because I just want to hear what's going to happen. They disputed back and forth, negotiated, and Rhino actually agreed to, to eat a little bit of it. And they settled it. And I went, all right. And I had, beyond my time, I didn't have to put anything in there. So I made my full claim. I got fully paid. I spent all that money. Then the two of them ended up solving it without me being involved in it. So um, that was just another step with that's the only company I've worked with, but I just like how they are doing this. They've been around long enough. And in my case, in my state, I don't have another alternative. I can't do it myself. Brian, I have a question about that. Brian, how much of a security deposit would you have been holding on that property where you said you collected $7,400? No, not that much. So when we first started, we used to do one and it was actually Whatever number I have, you add about 250 bucks to it because that's what we used to do. So it was either one month, one and a half months or two months based on your, your criteria of how much risk we thought we were. And we figured that was as much cash as we could kind of get from anybody. And once you got past that, people just wouldn't rent your house anymore. So when we went to Rhino, we just did the math and said, let's double it. So now two, three or four months is required. And so on that 7,300, probably a four-month policy. It was probably an 
25 times four. And so there is no way, the best side ahead was half that, which means $7,000 worth of damage that I would have only had $3,600 to cover. And the owner would have been eating some of that and probably real pissed at me, the world and, and being a landlord type deal. Instead, we cleared it all. I use Rhino, Josh. Ryan, I would like to come back to you a little bit later on. Maybe you can tell us, like, as you vetted out, I'm sure you've done a good job of when you're looking at going with Rhino and you look at the others, what were the pros and cons versus the other alternatives out there and what made you ultimately go with Rhino? But I want to kick it over to uh, Jonathan, who had a question that will come to Matt afterwards. So it's really more trying to answer Stephen's question about, um, you know, the scale up of credit. Uh, the, the neat thing, and it's kind of just what Brian had answered. We, we had a criteria to where, uh, if you met certain credit requirements, it was one and a half times rent. If you only met certain criteria, it would go up to two times rent. That's how we had it structured, just to answer that question for you know what we're talking about with um, credit, you know things like that. And then Rhino gets to have their own internal process to where they determine how much they're going to charge the individual tenant because. As property managers, we don't get into that at all. We don't negotiate how much they pay monthly. It was pretty great. Um, and we noticed when uh, I was looking at these kind of companies, I looked at some Surevestors and some other things like that. The, the part that really sold me on Rhino before I joined Revolution was the fact that if we approved the tenant, then Rhino would approve them. Whereas Surevestor has you know, restrictions for it. Look, you know, it they have to meet this credit criteria or we will not cover them. And back in Birmingham, we had a massive amount of, you know, low income type of housing, you know, six, $700 a month uh, properties that Surevestor and a lot of these other options would not have covered that. They, they didn't want to have anything to do with low rent model uh, type of uh, security deposits. Rhino on the other hand was like, we'll take anything that you got. We don't care if you approve them, we approve them doesn't matter what the price is, we'll do it. That's what sold me on it ultimately. Um, but again, I, I agree with Todd here. If you can do it yourself, clearly that is a much better model. Thanks, Jonathan. Steven, how about uh, up in Toronto, right? Up in Canada? What's the... Oh, what's... no, no. No? Don't say Toronto. That's a swear word. No. All right. <laughs> it is kidding. Toronto I'm area. on the West... No, I'm on the West Coast. Oh, uh, my apologies. Canada. Yes, that's okay. That's okay. Uh, my question for Todd originally was, uh, so we have to do everything in-house here because, I mean, uh, we don't have any other screw, um, deposit alternatives up here. Uh, I mean, we barely have second nature. So uh, it's good that we have those guys. Maybe they'll give me an extra vote for the bottle of whiskey. Um, but my question was, so if you're doing this in-house, how are you escrowing funds? Like, are you escrowing funds to make sure that you have enough funds? If you have to do a pale one day of a bunch of these, or is, is that required? Or how are you managing that piece if you're doing it in-house? Thanks. So I would say when we started out, I was setting aside money on the books that was purely for this. So when the money came in on those waiver fees, I had an asset account, or excuse me, a liability account where we were keeping that in just so we could make sure that we had that money in case we needed it. As time went on, I think it was probably six or nine months in, and I realized how much money we were collecting on this, it became clear that I no longer needed to do that because there was just so much money every month that we were collecting on this that it was just not possible that we were going to have a problem. So what I just ended up doing was I budget a line item for our income and I budget a line item for our payouts 
And I just put make that as part of our budget so we plan for it. And it's not an issue. There's no legal requirement, at least in our state, to escrow anything for this because it's it's technically not a security deposit. It's not anything we would have to escrow money for. But you know, that's what I did when I started, and then I realized it wasn't necessary. That makes sense. And I guess as a follow up to that, are is it a are you? We only can require security deposit up to one month's rent here, so there's no sliding scale. So are you doing it on anything that's just their primary security deposit? I don't mean a secondary one. And also, is is there a sliding scale to that as well? There is a sliding scale on our fee. So I, I can cover that when we go through the whole thing. Um, there's not a sliding scale on okay, what we perfect. protect the owner for. Um, we just pr protect them at the a flat rate based on the rent. But we do on the, on the fees that we charge the tenant. And I can cover that in more detail when we go through it. Thanks, everybody. Uh, Matt the Magnificent, I think you had your hand up a little while back. Question uh, coming your way. What you got? Yeah, it is more of a common input. I actually just told Laura for time crunch, I can do it after uh, Todd is going to present. Perfect. Brian, going to come back to you real quick. Pros and cons on how you decided to uh, make your decision and go with Rhino at the time. So it's a lot of the things you already heard. One is um, Rhino doesn't disqualify uh, anybody. It's scalable based on who you are. So if you have awful credit or bad history, or whatever, you're going to pay more for the same policy. I define the amount the policy is going to be. I heard one person out there, one user said, if I just had $5,000 for every house, it'd be fine. I said, well, then go to Rhino and require 5,000 from everyone. And they'll what they pay for that will depend on themselves. But you can there's not there's no nothing that says what you have to do. So he just gets five thousand on every house and he feels very comfortable. We just took our scale; it worked well. Um, the fact that as soon as you sign the lease, if you've approved them, they're approved. With I think Jonathan said that was a huge part of it. The second one is once your lease is signed and and you have your dates, they'll protect you to the end of the lease, whether the tenant pays rent pays the policy does anything you're protected the whole time so it's not like it's going to disappear on you now when i first did this i felt like i was todd taking all the risk because i'm like this sounds good but are they really going to do that but now two and a half years later and i have seen them cover people who weren't paying for the policy because they were covered under that thing and i've seen them pay a full amount i've seen them do what they just did last week on negotiating and i'm like okay so this works um in obligo Number one thing I didn't like Obligo, every tenant has to give them access to their bank account, open and direct access to their bank account. And I'm just like, I wouldn't want that. I wouldn't want to ask anybody to do that. And they don't approve everybody. So, I mean, it's great if you're highly qualified and you're willing to share a direct access to your bank account to a third party organization. Um, I don't know. That just seemed like a hard sell for me. So that I kind of went away from that. And as I looked at all the others, not, they very quickly faded on those things. One being the timing in which they would do it, how they would qualify them, and the fact that I would be protected the whole time. And so I said, I'm just going with Rhino and I've never run into a reason you know, to stop. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate uh, the advice and the feedback to everyone in the crowd here. Uh, I did just see Todd wouldn't be doing it if it wasn't profitable. That's probably a good segue into our next part. Uh, you know, hey, this is a triple win live. We're going to go live and we're going to talk about how Todd rolls out, you know, his uh, security deposits, uh, alternative process here. And I would say for the sake of us, a lot of us being NARPA members, right, we're going to talk, try to talk in generalities versus specific numbers. Um, but with that, Todd, uh, the floor is yours, my friend. 
Uh, let's talk triple win live and how your security deposit uh, applies to, to what you're doing in the group here. Sure. So our program is pretty simple. So when everybody, whenever anyone applies to, to rent from us, we score every application, just like I'm sure a lot of you guys do. It's not just an approval or a decline. It's a, it's a score. So, you know, we, there's a million different ways to do this. You can use Vantage scores. You can just go purely by credit. Everybody has different models. We use PropertyWare's AI score. Uh, you know, that works well for us or real pages, I guess you would say. And, you know, we look at that and then we offer the tenant two different options. We say you can either pay a security deposit on this sliding scale. So like Brian said, our scale was always one to three times the rent was our security deposit scale. And you know, the lower your score on property where's AI score or previous to that, the credit score, the more you had to pay in a deposit. So we offer them that you can either pay the security deposit amount based on your score or the alternative is you can pay a monthly security deposit waiver fee. And basically all that that waiver fee is doing is it's buying you the privilege of not having a security deposit. It is not insurance. It's not money set aside to be used for damage later. It's nothing like that. All it is is you pay this non-refundable fee and you don't have to pay a security deposit. So. What we found is about 70% of the people that we rent to now, and we've been doing this for about two years now, uh, about 70% of the people select the security deposit waiver option rather than paying a deposit. And it's across the board. If you look at the scores, when I first started doing this, my assumption was the only people who are going to take this are the people who are the worst scores. You know, they have bad credit. They don't have money set aside. That's who's going to take this. And what we actually found was our very first person who signed up for it was someone with an eight something credit score it was like 840 something. He was a CEO of a publicly traded company. He had millions of dollars in the bank. And I actually asked him, why are you taking the waiver option? Doesn't seem like it would make sense for you. And he just said, well, I would rather pay monthly than give you a big chunk of my money. And, you know, I, I said, okay, that sounds great to me. I think he ended up staying. Uh, he might actually still be in the property. So I'm still collecting that fee from him every month. But for him, that was preferable. So we found that that's the case across the board. You know, people of all different scores like the ability to just pay that monthly fee rather than paying a big deposit. So what we do is we take that, like I said, at first we escrowed it. We don't do that anymore. Now we just include it in a, as part as a line item on our budget. We have a, a, an income account and an expense account. I project out what we expect our payout to be uh, on that guarantee to the owner. And that's what we do. We guarantee a normal security deposit amount to the owner. So if the tenant moves out and they owe money and they were on the security deposit waiver program, we will cover that up to whatever the normal security deposit amount would be. We pay that out of our funds. Now we still go after the tenant. So we send them a statement that says, this is the damage on the property, or this is the unpaid rent, whatever it may be that they owe when they move out, they still get sent a final statement. The beauty of it is, is it's not a security deposit claim statement. We're not pulling any money from a deposit. So this statement is our statement. It's not something that the state requires that we have to comply with a bunch of regulations. This is just us telling them, you owe us this money pay us. And then, of course, we go through our collections process if they don't. So we're still able to collect all that money, even though they've paid us that non-refundable fee for years in some cases. So that is just money in the bank. And then we can go after them for that money. 
What we found as we've done this so far over the past couple of years, like I said, 70% adoption rate, and we've had a 67% profit margin on this so far. I suspect that's going to trend down just a tiny little bit and probably rest around 60, 60% is probably where it's going to end up. Um, but I might be a little pessimistic on that. I tend to be conservative in my financial projections, so it could be better than that. It has been so far. So, you know, I, it's, it's wildly profitable. The amount of money you make on this, you know, one of the downsides, obviously, when you do this is you're not holding a bunch of escrow money. So those of us who use enterprise or, you know, other companies that do other banks that do analysis banking and pay out, you know, credits for that or pay your bills, you're not going to get as much money from that anymore. But the amount of money that you're making off of this program is several times what you are making on that. So, you know, you're losing a small amount in exchange for a big amount. So we found it's, it works very well. Um, we haven't had any problems with it. Owners don't care. We disclose it up front in our management agreements. Nobody even mentions it. Uh, tenants love it. It's something that you can market to people in your listings. Um, it's, it keeps our days on market low. We have on average 10, 10 is our days on market uh, for the past year or so. Uh, so, you know, I, I have seen no downside and I've made a lot of money. So I'll just put it that way. I think we have a question, Todd, coming in from Blakely. Laura, maybe we can bring Blakely up and uh, how's it going, Blakely? Thanks for joining. Uh, thanks for sending the questions and we appreciate that ahead of time too. And now you have a question here for Todd. Uh, we'll kick it to you. All right. Hey, Todd, how are you? Great. Good to see you, man. Good to see you too, brother. So what if, um, you know, just say you have 300 owners already onboarded and you roll this program out in the summer and you obviously notify everybody. Um, what if an owner cancels, say, mid-tenants lease and they like act as if they didn't get your, your updated, you know, terms of agreement, et cetera, and they want you to still ensure after cancellation or they're upset that you have no money to give them on a cancellation. How would you handle that? So honestly, it's, it wasn't an issue for us because our management agreements and leases always said that if management terminates mid lease, the security deposit gets returned to the tenant. So, you know, it was never something that we had to deal with because they were never going to get any money in the first place. And I kind of modeled that. That was a Brad Larson idea. If I remember right. Um, we just didn't like to deal with the fact that, you know, there was someone who was unlicensed, who you know didn't know how to deal with security deposit law. Our view was, I'm not gonna turn that over to an individual landlord anyway. So we had always for years built into our contract that the deposit goes back to the tenant if management terminates. So it just never was an issue for us. Um, and you know, I encourage people to do things that way. I just, I, I think it's crazy to take escrow money and give it to an unlicensed person who doesn't know what they're doing. So that's kind of my philosophy on that and why I've never really had an issue with it. Thanks, Todd. I guess uh, a question that I have is you think about from the lens of the triple win. And as we talk about that at Second Nature, it's, you know, how does the tenant, the tenant benefit? How does the investor benefit? And how does the property manager benefit? I think, Todd, clearly for you guys, right, there's a great revenue opportunity uh, per door for you, which I know is a big topic in the industry. I know for the tenant, you know, if they don't have to come out of pocket with, you know, one month or two months of rent, that's a huge win for them. Um, you touched upon a few things like vacancy and days on market for the owner. Um, I'd be curious to know, you know, what are some other conversations that you're having or even Jonathan, I know he's newer to the company, but he's on the business development side. You know, what are some other things that, that are topics that come up when you're talking with investors that you're trying to onboard uh, as it applies to your program? 
Jonathan, how about you? You've had a bunch of conversations with uh, prospects here over the last month and a half. How uh, how many of them complain about our security deposit waiver paragraph in our contract? Uh, exactly zero. Um, the, the deal is this: when when we're when we're talking about um, security deposit alternatives, if, if you mention one or two benefits for them, that should be enough. Stop talking. There's no reason to continue that conversation. Your benefit is that you have shorter days on market. That, that's lower vacancy. That is dollars in your pocket. That is quantifiable dollars in your pocket. And there's no real reason to continue along that conversation. Every one of us on this call has enough other benefits and features that we can then carry the conversation to to explain why they should choose us for property management. That should be a blip. If I spend more than you know 30 seconds discussing our uh, you know, security deposit alternative option for, for a homeowner, then that is a very odd phone call. I've never had it. Even when I was at AHI, we did the same things. I've never spent more than two or three minutes tops on any of that conversation. Even when we were using Rhino at AHI, the kind of conversation it was, you get why that's good for you, right? The answer is always yes. No one is going to be, oh, but I want my, the security deposit is not yours. Mr. Homeowner, it's not. It's never yours until. So it, it shouldn't even be a conversation. There's kind of a misconception among a lot of property managers that they're required to hold a security deposit. And I do, I, I do consulting. I help a lot of people. I do acquisitions. So I look at a lot of leases and management agreements. I have never actually seen a management agreement that requires the property manager to collect a certain amount of security deposit. I've just never seen it. I'm sure it's out there. There's probably a contract in some state that some real estate or some realtors association has created that says you were re absolutely required to have a security deposit when you lease the property. But in Georgia, doesn't exist. Florida, not there. Um, I've never seen one. So, you know, most of you probably already have the ability to do this tomorrow. You don't even have to ask your owner's permission. You can just do it. And that's basically what we did. I mean, all of our new contracts do have a disclosure in it that talks about it. But when we started the program, we just basically told people, hey, this is what we're doing. And nobody cared. They just said, oh, I'm still covered to the same amount of money. Why do I care? So, you know, it's, it's really a, a smaller issue than a lot of people think it is. And in my case, Bob, uh, one of the easiest things is they're covered at twice as much than they would have been with mine at no cost to them or to me. And so that's the easiest solution. Why should I go with this? Well, we're collecting twice the amount of financial protection in case something goes wrong, um, but doing it in a way that lowers the pain point on cash to get into your property. So let me protect it by having more money, but rent it faster to get rid of your vacancy loss. So when? Yeah, Laura, Laura just chimed in on, on Blakely. There was a question earlier, and it was one that I was trying to, to tee up a little bit, and you guys have somewhat addressed it, but there are often owners, right, and, and I can totally understand this, where some of us say, hey, I'm, I'm skeptical about this program because it makes me feel like you may not claim as much and I'm out of pocket to fix appliance or a broken door or whatever it may be, right? Um, I think you guys have done a good job addressing that, but if there's that specific question from, a, from an owner, um, Todd, Jonathan, Brian, how, how do you guys, how do you guys handle that specific question? I think Brian had the best answer to that when he started out talking about the numbers. And I wish I had that data that Brian has been keeping such close track of on the turnover costs and everything. I have not, I'm ashamed. I don't have those numbers, but that's great 
great information that, you know. Wait, you know, did you just say I'm collecting numbers that you don't have? That's right. It's crazy. How is that possible? <laughs> but that's, that's such good information. I mean, you can take that to any client and say, hey, one of the best PMs in the industry has this great data that shows that the turnover cost actually goes down. You know, we're, we're spending less money to get these properties ready uh, because the tenants actually take it seriously that they're going to owe money. So, you know, it's I think it really does change the dynamic. And Brian's absolutely right. How many times when we look at and we've probably all seen those anti landlord Facebook groups and everything where everybody's always talking about how awful we all are. And they always say the same thing. Well, I'm never going to get that security deposit back. The landlord's always going to keep it. Everybody just goes into it. They pay that money and they consider that to be a sunk cost of being a tenant. They're never getting that money back as long as they live. That's their mentality. And this changes that equation completely. So I think it's far better and far safer for the landlord to do it this way than it is to do it the old fashioned way. So just in, in terms of business development, when I, if we're going back to let's, let's pretend that we have to have this conversation any further with the homeowner. Um, one of the things that I've, I've learned from Second Nature and Bob and Andrew and Tyler, these guys, the, the, the experience of the tenant is paramount in this industry. Our product is tenants. It's not all the systems. It's not all the organization. Our product to the homeowner is the tenant. Now, we can go into psychological, you know, studies about making tenants happy and how they treat products better or treat the properties better. But you can have that conversation just from a logical standpoint with your homeowner. Let's talk about the resident experience in your property. And if we give them the best experience possible, they're going to feel appreciative of this address and of you as a landlord and of, of us as a property manager. The better experience you can give them, the more likely they are to take better care of your property, pay you on time, stay in your property, lower your vacancy costs. It, it's, I mean, it is like a literal triple win in this case. It, it, the, it's one of the better descriptive uh, you know, services that, that really land on this. It, it's an incredible option. That's great. I love your use of the, the triple win. Thank you, Jonathan. And I will tell everyone uh, you know, here joining us today, like Second Nature is very interested uh, in this product and it's something that you know, we're doing a lot of research on and who knows, it, uh, it, it may be something you'll see us roll out down the road at some point to y'all uh, as an option if, if you guys want to take advantage of it. So Get on it, Bob, get on it. <laughs> maybe that's where Andrew's at today, who knows, right? Maybe he's already back from Beijing and working on it. You never know, so. Um, awesome. Well, uh, I'd like to kick it over to a couple more questions. Um, we'll wrap with a couple, uh, you know, updates and get a giveaway for that bottle of, of whiskey, but we probably have time for another two, three, two, three questions from the crowd. If anyone wants to I jump spotlighted, in. Uh, Steve, he's got his hand up for us. Hey, Steve. Hey, thanks. Uh, so I'm, I'm newer to using Rhino. Um, but one thing that we found, I think almost by accident, uh, that they have, which is another big benefit is they also have a, a program associated with the security deposit that covers months of rent. Um, and that has been a really neat program for us. Now we're only using it with a handful of people. Uh, but if you have somebody who's close to qualifying, they look pretty good, except maybe they're not really where you want them to be, uh, or you'd like them to be income wise. Uh, but they seem like a good tenant. They have uh, a program and you can dial it up however much you want, where they'll cover the security deposit plus rent. 
And at least in New York, uh, I'm in the Buffalo area, we've had so many moratoriums and it's very tenant friendly. Uh, being able to have a program where you can tell the owner, hey, um, we don't have a security deposit, but we have uh, a basically a program in place that covers security deposit plus some rent. Uh, that's been very, very interesting to a lot of the owners. And that's through Rhino. Um, I'm sure Todd's doing it in-house anyway. But uh... Actually, Steve, the way that it works with Rhino, if you set it up with them, is that they are um, doing a surety bond on behalf of that tenant right. to cover any financial obligation the lease defines. If the tenant is responsible for it, rent, damage, late fees, whatever it might be, if your lease says they owe it and they don't pay it and you have a policy, you can make a claim for anything the lease says they're responsible for. You just have to prove the lease says it and you have to prove that they owe it. And then in my two and a half years of this, they pay for it Great. easily, quickly. So the only thing I would point out on this is so Obviously, Brian doesn't have an option. He has to do this through somebody else. And, and there is another option in Texas called Steady. You can, um, that's, they've got a product out that will actually do the same thing that covers um, the new requirements in Texas. But what I would point out is if these companies like Rhino are out there offering this, it's because there's a lot of money to be made on it. That's why they do this. You know, it's just the same reason that we are in business for property management is because there's money to be made. So if you have the ability to do this in-house, if the risk doesn't bother you, if you've got the time to implement it, why are you going to let somebody else make the money that you can make? Find a way to make that money for yourself. That's, that's I, I did. I did the numbers every month and I went across and said, OK, because um, my whole thing was if we spend too much money, if we burn through all this, they're not going to renew us. They're not going to stay with us. They're not going to they're not going to let me be their client and lose money. So I've tracked it every month, even on our worst months. They make money. They don't make as much, but they make money every month. Now they got an operation to run with that, but they make money from me every month. So to the point where I started thinking, um, I should be doing this myself, right? When Texas decides, no, you can't do that. So then that was the end of that. Yep. So one thing you can't do in Texas, huh, Brian? <laughs> Matt, uh, we're to come back to you, buddy. I think you got a question, your hand up. Yeah, a few comments, a question, but first actually for Brian, two things. One, we have the same background. Two, I <laughs> think we both found it on the internet somewhere. Uh, two is, uh, before I, I give some of my comments on this, uh, Brian, I had a question about the Texas is the issue that about collecting money up front. Is that the issue that it gets classified as security deposit? No, they basically said if a tenant pays you any money that goes against, and I don't know how the exact words they've had, but if you're collecting that in lieu of a security deposit, then you have to hold it, collect it, and treat it like a security deposit. And if there's no damage, return it to the tenant when they vacate, if it's yeah. not being used to correct things. That so they basically turned any self-funded uh, security deposit replacement program into a security deposit. The only reason I didn't get captured in that is I don't make any money off of this. I don't make money off of this, but know this. I ran this and pushed it out the same time I pushed out my resident benefit package, which they could easily afford now because they're not putting a security deposit. I raised all of my tenant-driven fees. I increased about six fees all along with this because as I didn't collect thousands of their dollars, they didn't care that there was $10 here every month and $5 there every month. And at the end of all of that, I made more money 
because I went to the resident, I mean, because I went to the security deposit replacement program, I'm just not making it directly from it. Makes sense. All right. So let me give some of my input real quick on this. Uh, and Todd and I, several years ago, before he implemented this, he and I were both talking about this at a conference somewhere. And I started implementing my first, he did his next, and we took very, not very different approaches, but his, he lives in Georgia and Florida, and uh, they have a bit different everything <laughs> than California. Uh, so Karen's over there nodding. She's like, yep. So let me give some input. And Brian, this may actually be something, some version of this may matter. And for those who know me, I'm very legally minded. I read all the codes, all the laws, word for word, multiple times a year because I love it. Uh, but the uh, let, here's what we do. Uh, first off, I, I do want to make one point for anybody who's smaller and thinking, what do I do? In my view, if you're small, go with Rhino or someone, right? There is a cost return and uh, a cost benefit analysis you have to perform. If you have 30 properties, yeah, you may be collecting money on stuff, but you're not going to be able to pay that $7,000 claim. So go with Rhino for the beginning. Don't feel like you have to jump to the top. But what we do is we do something different. We call ours uh, a security deposit payment extension program. Payment extension program. We ran this through all the attorneys, through the uh, through the state board of insurance. Everyone signed off on it, uh, so we feel pretty confident on that. Although I'm not an attorney, so keep that in mind. Uh, just information purposes. Here's how we do this. When we there's two parts. Number one, when we screen people, our residents, we have a system we created. It's a rubric called Tenant Clear, and if you're well qualified, you hit 18 points or more. If you're not well qualified, you can basically buy points, kind of like buying points on a mortgage, and you can get yourself up to there, but each point costs you a certain monthly amount. It's fantastic. It's a, a great fee maxing thing we do uh, to get slightly less qualified people. Now, if someone wants, what we did is if right before COVID, we increased our security deposit to two times the rent. That's maximum allowed in California. Can't do higher than that. Uh, military, it's 1x. So keep in mind, we have properties that rent for four or $5,000. So you're asking someone to come in with $8,000, $10,000, uh, and that can be tough. But the benefit is this. Number one, if someone pays that, then our clients are well secured. Right? That's a good amount, a chunk of change. Going to Todd, what you said, it, you'd be surprised the amount of people sign up for it who really don't need to. Why? Because simple reason that many people who have money still have money because they understand a good deal when they see one. And in our case, what ours is, is that we extend, uh, our, our program is that, okay, resident, you have three choices. Number one, pay the full security deposit. Number two, pay half the security deposit and enroll in a program where your monthly fee, Brian, it doesn't cover any part of damages, security deposit, or anything. All it covers is the administrative costs to us of overseeing, of letting you enroll in that program that buys you 45 days more to not pay that security deposit. And that resets every 30 days. So they can't just keep buying it. So every 30 days it resets. And if they don't pay their program fee, then the entire security deposit, the remainder is due immediately. And if they go to another client, guess what? 
It's due immediately. Todd, by the way, I wrote down about your uh, return security deposit to the resident. I'm totally going to implement that. It's fantastic. Uh, that's a final puzzle piece that I was missing. Uh, so huge value. Uh, just one one other uh, couple of things here. Our scale is two to three percent for well uh, for well qualified, four to five percent for people who had to buy points. I just had someone well qualified, three thousand dollar a month rental just today signed up for the program. I will make. They signed up for the eighty percent reduction. We never do it completely. I will make hundred twenty dollars a month for what, guys? How many claims have I had? Todd, you want to guess how many claims I've had? Um, maybe zero. Zero. That's <laughs> right. Now keep in mind, we do collect a small amount of security deposits, so we have had to go against our security deposit, but we always have at least twenty percent, and we do have a clause in ours. Brian, this does not work with Rhino, but I'm giving this for informational purposes. We are says in our program and disclose, disclose, disclose is that if you, uh, if your resident has not paid 80% of the security deposit, uh, we will pay up to the equivalent of one month security deposit. We'll bridge that gap. So we do have a coverage limit. But got, but here's the thing. Every other manager is a one month, one month anyways, not two months. So they still get the same protection they would if we didn't have the program. We just collect the money. And it's fan. Fantastic. Uh, I've had three clients to go to another question. I've had three clients push back. Uh, two of them, really easy. We got on a phone call, had a conversation, talked about the benefits. Uh, you know, going back to um, to what was said earlier by Jonathan, you know, you say a few benefits, you shut up, right? Uh, that's it. You don't try to get into the nitty gritty and the legal stuff. One person, and they were fine. The other person left over it. That person had one property. I have made far more than that one client, and I didn't like that client anyways. So <laughs> it, it's a win, win, win uh, on that. Again, uh, the clients win, the residents win, and it's harder for residents, something on all these programs for everybody. If they're considering moving during a rent increase and they're considering moving to, let's say Todd is a competitor and he doesn't offer this, they're considering moving, guess what they don't get back? when they move out to plan for their budget for moving, that bigger security deposit. So now the other place is asking for one X or two X security deposit. They're not going to get it. And so they say, you know what? It's cheaper for us to stay put. So there we go. That's some of my input. Uh, I thought I'd share a, a, a variation. It's an in-between of the programs. And Brian, again, it's a payment extension program. It, they're paying for enrollment in the program. That's it. That's great, Matt. Thanks for uh, bringing that insight to everybody. We're going to stay on a little bit longer, but I know some people blocked an hour here. and We've kind of hit that hour time time mark. A um, couple of things. One, uh, who's going to broker owner? People getting excited. I think there's some names I've seen on here. I'll be down there. Um, maybe if you can put in the chat, if you're going to be out there. Just want to let you all know. Hey, Bob, there's, all, there's one rule, though. You're partying at your house, right? The new yeah, house? Yeah, I don't know if it'll be done yet. But hey, rule rule for you is keep that freaking cold weather up there because it's nice now and we want to have a nice warmish broker or at least cool broker owner. We don't need any more of that snow or ice crap we had last week. Hey, man, if I'm coming south, I'm looking for the warm weather. So I love it. Um, real quick. So Second Nature, along with uh, Onsite Pros, lead some, a couple other vendors. Uh, we're going to be sharing some information coming out soon, but um, we're going to be hosting with uh, these vendors 
um, an event at the Sweet Six, the Sweet, well, really the Elite Eight basketball game. There's going to be opportunities for folks to win a ticket to the game. There's also going to be events on Sunday night and Monday night that include a Texas Hold'em poker tournament, 27 players on Sunday, 27 players on Monday. We're going to take the top four players from each night. They're going to compete on Tuesday night. There's going to be awesome prizes. Uh, There's also Brian is uh, graciously donated an opportunity to go attend a Spurs game uh, with with someone. Uh, Brad Larson is uh, donated to force him to go play golf at his golf course. So there's going to be a lot of cool things happening. Uh, News will be coming out here shortly. Wanted to give it to you all first. There will be a watch party of sorts that uh, Jordan Wayla and Phil Owen will be running on March the 17th for a couple hours during the afternoon. And again on uh, Sunday, March the 20th. That's where our at-large contest will happen, and you can find yourself, you know, a spot into one of those events. So more to come on that. Uh, Please look out for that. should be fun and look forward to spending time with uh, all of you. And then, uh, like I said, Second Nature, we're strongly considering getting into this space. Thank you for all the advice and feedback you all have shared today on security deposit alternatives. That's something that you might be able to uh, see come this, uh, the latter half of this year. And, and Laura, you know, I want to give you the uh, the kudos, Laura's idea. Let's let's give away a nice bottle of Whistle Pig. Uh, we've seen, I think Todd likes the Whistle Pig. We're not going to give away the, the super, super fancy stuff, uh, but we're going to get a nice bottle out to someone. And if uh, Whistle Pig is not your thing and you want a big water jug or there's something else comparable that we can send your way, uh, we're going to do that. So I think Laura's got a nice okay. uh, nice wheel here that we're going to spin, right, Laura? I do. I have a wheel of names. I tried to get everyone who submitted a question or asked a question. Um, Brian, are you on there? Because if you're not, I have to add you. <laughs> hold on. Where is Brian Birdie? Oh, uh, you got to add him. Okay, hold on. I got to add Brian. I thought I did add him. Don't, don't put Birdie Brian on here. wins everything. Brian, with Brian on there. But he, he didn't necessarily. He was like, I wasn't a host. I was, I was a participant. You just asked me questions. Oh, there you go. Look at that. You are all in trouble now because we know who's going to win. Before everybody, before, everybody, before everybody bounces, I do want to thank Todd as well for jumping on today, uh, sharing his secret sauce with everybody. Just a great community of people that like to share, and, and we love that. So thanks, Todd. We really appreciate it. And then um, on the 23rd, guys, we're doing another one of these with Greg Cohen talking about long-term leases. So I think most of you have signed up for that, but just to plug that. All right. Laura, Laura let's spin that wheel. Spin it. Ah! Steven! Right. to pay international Steven. shipping costs. Love well, that's on, that's that's on Steven. No, just kidding. <laughs> Look, it's whistle pig. It's very rye heavy. You, you Canadians like your rye anyways. It'll be perfect. We do. I would like to donate my uh, bottle to Todd because I owe uh, oh. a bottle to Todd for a long time. So if you could please send it to Todd from me, that would be yeah. great. And that will sh- save you shipping it to canada it'll probably get seized at international borders or something i don't know but yeah if you could donate it to todd that would be amazing unbelievable you are the man what the hell no problem, no problem pal just for that i'm gonna have to go to the crown royal later on and have a canadian whiskey. <laughs> nice what okay so i gotta know steven well, canadian whiskey what should i get do you have something to recommend for me 
Please do your uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, I've got a few options for you. I'll, I'll email you. Send me something. I'm, I'm, I, yeah. I was just talking to Jonathan about this the other day, wondering what would be a good Canadian whiskey. So I'd love to get that list. I'll send. I'll send. I'll bring some down next time I go down the states. It's been a while since I've been down there with the border being closed. But next time I go down, I'll smuggle some down for you. Thank and you. I'm, and I'm guessing Steve. I, I will not appreciate gonna, it. Steven's not going to recommend this, but I will give you a little uh, insight. My my grandmother worked downtown Chicago till she was 78 years old, raised four kids after her husband passed at 39 years old. So the day that she died at 96, the FBI showed up once a month asking questions about Chicago politics and all that fun stuff. But she had one Manhattan a day, and uh, that was with Canadian Club whiskey. So probably not what you're recommending, Stephen, but uh, you know, did it did her well. She was of sound, uh, sound mind until the day that she died. So. I don't know if Kevin Patterson is still on the call. He, he had a question. If those want to stick around, we're going to just keep it flowing for a little bit longer. But uh, Kevin had a question, and, or Laura may have had that teed up. But Yeah, I can read it to Todd. I think it's a great question that um, Todd might be excited to answer. Okay, cool. Todd, are you going to stick around? I'm just going to sit here and drink with Jonathan anyway, so what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> All yeah, right. That bottle, he's got another one on the way. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna post it in the chat and then I'm gonna read it out loud. Um, I believe that says you, you tooted. Touted. 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 Okay. I like tooted better. <laughs> like he was tooting his horn. <laughs> okay, you touted for many years about not scaling and staying small while maximizing fees. What what changed your mind to start to scale and move? Sorry, chat's moving and move into different areas around the, the country. Oh, wait a minute. I can tell you the answer to that. He uh, he taught a class with me. I taught big. He taught small and he listened to me. And the day after that is when everything in Todd's life changed. I'm taking full credit for it, of whether course. it's the truth or not. Yes, that's that's not the truth. But I'll let you take the credit there. Brian. Bernie, does that mean that I owe you my job? There you go. That's true. Uh, no, it's uh, it was interesting. I actually uh, I still say if you want to be that one man show, one woman show, whatever it is, I still say that's a fantastic way to make money. There's no doubt about it. You know what Steve Crossland pointed out for so many years is true. You can make an enormous amount of money staying at 100 units thereabouts fee maximizing, being efficient, doing it yourself and putting away a bunch of money. You know, it worked for him. It can work for a whole lot of people. I know a lot of people making money there, but I will say that's a boutique operator. That's what you're doing. You know, you're, you're trying to appeal to that owner who's looking for that one person show and you own a job. You know, you don't have a bunch of other people working for you that you can just disappear for six months. You know, last year, some of you know, I probably, you, you probably saw that I went on the road for two or three months and I wasn't working very much. I had other people taking care of that stuff. You can't do that if you're a one-man show. So there are downsides to that, but that is a viable path. What really changed for me was we, we managed about 350 doors, I think, when I was uh, really advocating for that. And that's kind of in that middle ground. You know, that's between that one-man show and the big company. And I really, it, what I came to believe was that that's going to disappear. I don't think there's going to be a lot of those mid-sized companies that stick around for very long. I see a lot of consolidation going on. I see, you know, a lot of 
venture capital and private equity money pouring into this industry. And there's even more now than when I kind of changed my tune a year ago. Um, you know, Pure is out there now. They've got, they just received, I believe, $50 million, if I remember right, from venture capital. Um, that's what's going on right now. So, you know, I think a lot of those small companies are going to have a really hard time competing in that environment. And what we're going to be left with is the boutique operator, you know, the Steve Crossland model and the bigger company that's, you know, thousand doors plus. And I think that number is going to keep growing as to what constitutes a big company. I don't think there's going to be a whole lot left in between because part of the problem is it's really difficult to compete with. You can't provide the service level that the boutique operator does. And you can't provide all of that, you know, scale that the big company does where that big investor might want to have someone who's in multiple markets and all that kind of stuff. You can't provide that. So you're really kind of in no man's land, unable to be anything to anybody. And I just don't think that works long term. I think that disappears. And that's why I made the decision. I said, you know, I don't want to be the boutique operator. I don't want to own a job. I want to be able to do whatever I want, whenever I want to do it. And if I want to pick up and go to Vegas for three weeks and not work at all, I want to be able to do that. And you can't do that boutique. So that's why I made the decision, you know, I'm just going to scale. And, you know, thankfully, I've got Jonathan here to help me do that. He offers me a very lucrative whiskey package, guys. Let me let me add to that. I know I made a comment on this, but going with Todd, in my first company, when I had 3,500 doors, you know, the hardest part was the time in between that middle level when we only had you know, two offices and a couple hundred doors. I and mean, this is also before Second Nature and other companies that made life so much better. Uh, so, I, back when we started on Tenant Pro. I, so the, and then when I started over in 2015, I, it was so much more exciting and fresh when I had under 100 doors. Uh, it's that boutique level. It's just so nice. You have that relationship and yeah, crap happens. Uh, but hey, I'm back in that middle stage right now, uh, higher, but not not uh, quite where I want to be. It's tough, guys. You know, it's yes, you have employees and you have things like this. Jonathan, of course, you were there too. I mean, before you went over to uh, to Revolution, it makes a big difference when you have more, a few more brains that top get it, uh, and it does give you that freedom, that time. Uh, if I had to choose, I would probably. You know, I obviously I'm growing large, and that's always been my scale. Todd, you, I think you'll still lose that bet uh, with NARPM. Uh, so the, uh, but if I wasn't scaling large, I'd probably go the Steve Crossland method and just do a hundred doors. He just keep winning, so he had a hundred and uh, highly profitable, highly easy, good relationship people. That's a great way to go. Uh, that in between area is just it's tough, and it's where frankly most people burn out. I think if you're attempting to be scalable and you don't have a specific person working your BDM slot, it, it becomes so difficult to hone in on your operation and also spend the kind of time that you need to on biz dev. I mean, I, I spend hours all day long just creating content to then in turn speak to the one or two leads that come in off of the content. I mean, I, I spent, I mean, you can ask Todd, we, we were here last night until eight or nine o'clock, which is great because it's fun because we're also friends. And so that makes things a lot easier. But those conversations are, are, are the, the time it spends for Todd to specialize in making sure that what I'm selling is sharp as 
all can be, and I know it's after hours, and I'm 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 a potty mouth, so I'm trying to be clean here. Uh, I mean, it, it Todd sharpens this to where I can sell it. It's very 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 easy to sell a Todd Orshide system, and if you have one person building the system to perfection, and the other person whose whole job it is is to understand what the system is and be able to sell it, it makes it easier, and you can scale infinitely if you if you at least have those two pieces in place but you've got to get those pieces in place to do that and i think our definition of sizes is going to change i mean because i've i've been over a thousand as high as 1500 i never got any larger than that but the, at, you know a number of years ago that was really a large company uh but i'm not i mean i'm still over a thousand and i'm not a large company anymore not when you really think about it you know, um, and uh, you see those that are growing around you. I mean, I'm like, you know, what is it going to be? What's the number going to be to be? And I'm like, I don't want to go compete with the big boys. I just want to be great at where I'm at. But eventually what's going to happen, like Todd, is that you're going to find an opportunity in another location. And the next thing you know, you're going to start growing. And it's a lot of, that's the fastest way to grow anyway. I can move to another close location or another area and 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 do what I do there and grow faster than trying to expand where I'm at now. Once I'm at the size that I'm at, I but doesn't matter how many doors you have, they all have their own problems. They're all different kinds of problems. It just changes what the problem, what the focus is. Because the bigger you get, your your focus is no longer on the business, the day to day, like Todd said. But it's mm -hmm. on it's on people and staffing and keeping them and training them and making sure they're happy. And because you can't continue to just go take three weeks off if you don't have people doing the job, because. You know, you lose a few people or somebody goes off and has a baby on you like me. And next thing you know, you realize you got to get back in and work again because somebody's got to do it. I do remember when you were pregnant, Brian, it was <laughs> shocking to us all. Uh, but there's a new emoji out for you. Uh, That's right. So <laughs> pregnant man. Uh, so, you know, just uh, thank Brian, you for saying that. that was the most brilliant thing that's been said <laughs> in this entire call. <laughs> You know, I, I'm here to give those high quality content uh, <laughs> materials there. Brian, uh, well, he just walked away. I was going to ask when he started. When with my first company, uh, Brian, when did when did you get into management? Um, I started helping my dad out in 1997. Okay, so a about, little while. He had about 50 doors, and he was being overwhelmed by it because uh, he was running his entire business with a three ring binder and a pencil. All right, so I came in in the next level, the next wave, 2009, uh, right at the height of everything. And Appfolio, sorry, uh, Propertyware and Appfolio were both kind of newish, uh, and not many people were using them. The only big software that was tech enabled was, at that time was, um, what's the apartment one, guys? Um, Yardy? Yardy. Yardy. Everybody in NARPA was using Promise at that point in time. Yeah, Promise, Promise, and uh, we used Tenet Pro, which you know, if we wanted to use it in different locations, we had to uh, tunnel in remote into it uh, using GoToMeeting. You guys remember that? All right. So the uh, Brian, this is exact thing, right? Is that what what is small? What is everything? It's just changing. There was a time when everybody, and and Brian, this is probably you'll remember this period too. Mid two thousands, late two thousands, everybody said, "Oh, well, you know, a small or a uh, how many many doors can a manager handle?" And the answer would be somewhere between fifty to one hundred, depending on their capabilities. And now we have, you know, we can have one manager with uh, with one of our staff in our Mexico office, uh, you know, doing some other things. 
we can have one person handle 250, 300 doors and do deliver amazing, excellent service. And it's so much better too, because we didn't have filter delivery from second nature. We didn't have uh, utility hookups uh, through uh, Citizen Home Solutions or any other service. We didn't have those things and we definitely didn't have uh, cell phones uh, really working through. So the, the reality is, is that the tech has enabled us to do more and that's allowing people to scale. But one thing, Brian, that you said, you said, well, you know, you could go there and you just kind of grow. I'd say that the biggest challenge I've seen in people growing and Todd, you probably have experienced some of this right when you were trying deciding to open that, that second office in Florida uh, a couple of years back, is that for those who have grown a large company in one location, the biggest problem I saw in all my acquisitions, everything else, is that their systems and their mindset and their staff's mindsets and everything they're doing are built for one location. And the challenge of scaling whether you're scaling to multiple locations or you're just trying to go from a boutique to you kind of let yourself go and you suddenly find yourself at 350 doors. That is not growth with intent. And Bob, I know you read a lot of books too, and you know the importance and second nature knows the importance of growing with intent. And our systems, lots of companies, you know, you don't have good systems, your inventory gets a little messed up. Hey, pull an all-nighter, fix your inventory system. Doesn't work that way in our industry, right guys? So you have to, Take that time to think, figure out where you actually want to be. And if you're just letting yourself go, you're going to end up with terrible systems. You're going to end up on the wrong end of a DRE audit or whatever your local thing is, Department of Real Estate out here. You're going to end up on the wrong side of some IRS issue. Uh, you're going to end up with being sued by residents and owners who may very well win. So make sure you know what you're doing. Don't accidentally grow to 350, 400 doors thinking, well, it's small. Uh, 150, yeah, that's still boutique nowadays. I know I said 100, Blakely, in response to your thing, but 150, 200 is still small with today's tech. Uh, so those are my things. Again, tech enables us to do more. It makes what small and medium is scale, just like Brian said. Uh, but for heaven's sake, do do your do your staff a favor. Do your staff a favor. Todd, you talk about this all the time. If you're not growing with intent, that means you're not putting the systems in place. And that means your staff are going to get burned out and they're going to hate it. And that's a terrible thing. No one wants to come in dreading their job every day, even if they know they're doing good things. Please do your staff a favor. Even, I mean, as but a don't BD, get them drunk all the time like Todd does with Jonathan. Don't listen to Jonathan right now. I've seen him drink. After hours, Matt. It's only 220 here. I don't, I'm drinking my coffee. So, so as a BDM, like, yeah, I'm not operating a business. I'm not running the whole thing like Todd does, but I sell our team and your BDMs, everyone on here, your BDM should be able to sell your team. And if your team is not happy, they're harder to sell. If you know, you know, Jan is pissed off and she's not answering tenant calls because she's, you know, pissed that she's only making four cents a day or whatever the hell like that your BDM, no matter how good they are, is not going to be able to sell. Well, Jan is great at answering tenant calls. No, she's not. She's pissed. If you're not, if you're not treating your employees well, then it doesn't matter how good of a BDM you have. It doesn't matter how good of operations you have. If your team is pissed at you because you're being a greedy bastard, you're not going to be able to grow. It's just, that's just the way it is. Well, guys, I don't know about you. I, I've got to hop here soon. 
Great seeing you all. Thanks, everybody. Uh, one thing, if anyone's going to PM Grow, I don't know if you are, but Second Nature and Pure are um, splitting the sponsorship for the rooftop party, and we've decided on a big hair, don't care theme. So, you know, if you're going, uh, you might want to go ahead and check out Amazon and rock some, some big, flowy 80s hair. So, uh, hope to see you all on the road. That's all for today's Triple Win Property Management Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for sharing a piece of your life with us. We do not take it for granted. I also want to give a shout out to Carol Housel for everything she and our team does to make these possible. It's crazy to think about over 5,000 professional property managers have pressed play on episodes in season one and season two now. And we really want to encourage you to keep giving feedback because more and more people are listening. It's getting better and better and better thanks to everything that you're sharing with us. If you like this enough to listen, want to encourage you to share it with other people. Um, you can give us feedback directly on those social media channels, Facebook, LinkedIn, wherever you're hanging out. You can also send us an email at triplewin at secondnature.com. And we just want to give more. We're, we're, there's no sales pitch here. Just want to offer more resources that help you find and stack your next triple win and become a triple win driven property manager. So where can you find that? You can find the private Facebook group, you can find our blog, you can find our newsletter, you can find more resources all at rbp.secondnature.com. Just search for what you're looking for there. And every time we see you, we want to see a better version of you and your business. To that end, keep it going, feel inspired, take our encouragement, and we'll see you next time.